me to the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Hello, everyone. You're running just a little late, but we are here. We are live. Thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair, and having a beverage with us as we talk movie spoilers. Yes, folks, it is a new month. And, uh, well, uh, we're killing two birds with one death wish in that we are wrapping up our look at the death wish franchise, even though the other Chuck month is over, we were still able to do death wish five tonight because it's, I need a hero month and you know, who better to be a hero than our favorite vigilante, Mr. Uh, Kersey, the crack shot art architect. Uh, <laughs> or, or is it or is it mr stewart or is it mr stewart or is it mr kimball i'm not sure he's a man of many names and a man of many talents is with us tonight it is my right hand man co-host and friend yes it is mr ian simmons hello ian how are you sir i'm doing great i can't wait to talk to you about this because i love this movie but i still think last week is the reigning champion for as far yeah. as the oh, yeah. series oh, so yeah. i'm waiting yeah. i'm waiting to get into you about yeah. help me figure this out <laughs> well uh i can't wait as well uh mr glenn bittner the bfd could not be with us again tonight to close out our death wish series he was with us for the first three you are here with us in spirit sir we raise a glass to you biff and uh, look forward to when you come back again mm. i brought wine tonight because blood red well it's purple actually because I thought that was going to be your death swish. It's my death swish. No, I'm not going to swish into the bike. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just rude. Uh, but anyway, Death Wish 5. Although, uh, when they title it, it's just Death Wish Face of Death, which, uh, uh, just a side note, I always like sequels better when they don't put numbers. I think sequels actually will be more successful if you don't put a number on it, because otherwise people will realize just how many of that film may have come out by now. And mm. so if you don't put the number, you just put the subtitle, you know, like in this case, Death Wish, The Face of Death, which is the way it's uh, credited in a lot of places. That's like, oh, it's a Death Wish film. You're not quite sure which one, kind of like James Bond. But, you know, if you said James Bond, on 35 you're like oh my god they made 35 of those fucking movies oh my god you know okay so that's my side note about sequels and subtitles i think uh you should not have the number in front of them that's that's all i'm saying uh or in the in the title at all but i digress mr ian simmons as always sir if you could give us the synopsis of death wish five of face of death <laughs> Paul Kersey, architect Paul Kersey, uh, and, vigil and former vigilante. Once again, he has retired his old ways. He's living the, you know, straight, walking the straight and narrow path. He's got, he's got a serious girlfriend. <laughs> what are those conversations like? Like, what's date number three? So tell me about your, your exes. Well... Well, my wife was uh, brutally beaten in the murder, same room as my daughter was raped, raped and killed. Yeah. Uh, and let's see, my uh, second girlfriend left me when she found out that I went around killing people. Anyway, it's just, it's a, <laughs> he's just got a very interesting dating profile. He does. Uh, but so he's just, he's back in um, New, York, New York, right? Yeah, New Toronto. I mean, New York. Yes. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it is wintry and snowy. And it, yes, you're probably right. Toronto, uh, York. Anyway. Um, but uh, he's got this girlfriend who is um, a fashion magnate. She, mm -hmm. Olivia Regent, I think yes. is her name. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's got a daughter from an ex-husband or ex-boyfriend. I don't know. It's kind of unclear. Uh, played by the great uh, Michael Parks. And he's a maniac. He's like this Irish mobster who 
is very jealous, wants custody of his daughter. And um, Paul Kersey kind of gets in the way. Uh, the mother's business is wrapped up in all sorts of illegal dealings of which um, Mr. O'Shea is, uh, I guess, I think that's his name. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's okay. O'Shea. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like masterminding a whole bunch of this, this shady stuff under the table, you know, mm-hmm. business involving garments and overproducing clothes. I didn't quite understand all that stuff. Uh, but things go really wrong when one of this guy's hitmen roughs up, uh, Olivia in the bathroom of a fancy restaurant, mm-hmm. smashes her face repeatedly into a, into a mirror and scar, you know, disfigures her for life. Uh, eventually hitmen come after both of them. She's horribly killed, and he just goes off on a rampage uh, with the uh, help of not a cop this time. It's a district attorney, and there is a crooked cop. So we're seeing, like, each of these movies keeps piling on more best ofs. More (laughs) more of the Death Wish bingo gets integrated into these films as they go on, which is why I love them. I mean, this movie is completely different from the first death wish, even though they have a lot of the same fundamental characteristics. Oh yeah. No, it, it, it is a different approach to the character. Of course, we're talking mid nineties. Now we're talking 1994. So we're talking 20 years have passed uh, since Mr. Kersey first went ahead, randomly killing and baiting crooks to uh, shoot them. He's, you know, he, he's been at this for a while now. And, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it does have a different feel. Of course, they have to take a different approach, though we do have the nudity back in this one, literally within a minute of the film. Uh, <laughs> but this is, but, you know, honestly. But it's not violent nudity. I mean, it was. No, it's, it was, it's uh, tasteful. And yeah. even the violence against the the women, or, you know, Olivia specifically, as much as it is weird to say this, it's not the bad kind of violence against a woman. It, um, you know, it's. Yeah. It's it's equally not equally, but it's almost just as horrific watching her get her face smashed into this mirror, especially because of the kind of artistic presentation. We're seeing her face kind of through the shattered glass. Mm-hmm. So it's not like uh, lingering on the gore, but it's still very distressing. Uh, but it's not a brutal rape scene. The nudity we get is it's like fashion week models right. backstage, like dressing and undressing. And you're not even like going up the thigh or the breast and like getting, it's not like Michael Bay. It's very matter of fact, almost like you're watching project runway, just models getting changed before they go on the catwalk. Yeah. You don't have them low angle up the stairs in a negligee shots that Michael Bay gives you Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in it. So yeah, no, you're you're right. I mean, it is handled a little more tastefully. It's done in context. I mean, the, the nudity uh, that you get right in the beginning is, is fitting for, what it was, which was a fashion show and people switching crap. And that's just nature of the beast um, that you have there. Uh, so, yeah, but you're right. It hits it hits the Death Wish bingo card hard <laughs> in this film uh, quite a bit uh, without the rape, though. You, you don't have the rape, which was which was a nice refresher. And Kersey's a full blown action hero now. Uh, his his. <laughs> His killings become so intricate. You've got James Bond taking notes. Okay. Uh, This guy has really honed his craft over the 20 years he's been a vigilante. Uh, And let's not uh, skip over the fact that he's actually in the witness protection program, though, though they don't. They don't go into why, because the events after the events of four, he kind of walks off again across the bridge after he blows away the shitty dummy which is still one of the best deaths in 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 death wish franchise that one um uh with this one in here probably being a close second but yeah he's really honed his craft but he really does do the creative deaths now in this one actually the first one he did i thought was interesting because yeah after his girlfriend gets aced because the guys show up because she's going to testify. She gets her face smashed. That's in. Right. Yeah. Because what I found interesting is O'Shea, this guy, he's a little, I love Michael Parks. I've always loved Michael Parks. He is in a different movie. Uh, he's on a whole nother level with his Tommy O'Shea character. I love this villain. I don't want to, but it's Michael Parks and just the way he plays this guy. So scummy and over the, just 
Michael Park's way that I just like I can't help but really like this guy's approach as bad as he is it's just he's got that charisma I always loved Michael Parks you know um so in this one being that villain but he doesn't outright really kill people immediately even if they've wronged him he knows it's a business so this isn't which surprised me about his character because when you see him you think okay organized crime leader you know crime guy he's got basically we find out the whole fashion district under his protection scam of if you don't pay the protection suddenly something bad accidents happen in your fashion shop but he doesn't just do curzy in that he just randomly pops people that wrong him he'll hurt them but he knows he's got to keep them because otherwise if he kills them it cuts a revenue stream yeah and that's you know and he is a big fan of like having his henchmen disfigure people and and do they get creative with the way they rough people up like there's mm -hmm. the the first the the big fat guy we meet on the the production floor the two the the pill popping thug and the mm -hmm. uh was it the the lollipop hood yeah um, their brothers, they get, I don't know what these tools are, but they get like this stitching it's, saw or something that yeah. kind of cut a little piece out of them. Um, and I think they're even surprised by the damage this thing does. But yeah, you get enough people who've been put through that kind of machinery. They're going to spread the word around the underworld. That's why, you know, Kersey is frustrated because he's talking uh, to people about, you know, why can't the cops just put this guy away? They're like, we've been trying to put him away for 16 years. And yeah. he's like, 16 years <laughs> yeah you <laughs> have as long as i've been killing people yeah right kersey's like well you haven't put me away either so i guess you know i can understand <laughs> i can understand you not being able to put him putting o'shea away after 16 years but no you know o'shea yeah he's got the protection scam down i mean yeah they go after kersey's girlfriend because even though she gets the mirror treatment in the face she still is going to uh testify uh, but there's, of course, a mole in the police department. Uh, they're not all assholes this time. There's just a specific bad guy, uh, <laughs> bad cop in this one. Um, well, and it's it's Miguel Sandoval, who, yeah. in, in keeping with um, Soon Tech Ho from, last, uh, from the last movie, he's a character that, you know, I've seen, I've seen Miguel Sandoval play, you know, kind of villainous heavies in other movies. Mm -hmm. uh, like I thought he was great in get shorty. I think that's the first oh, yeah. movie that I really mm -hmm. saw him in. Um, but to see him in this movie, Oh, he's a cop and he's nice. And he's having dinner with the district attorney and he's great. I think the district attorney is going to be crooked because it's Saul Rubinek yeah. who also <laughs> plays a lot of like kind of scheming backstabbers in movies, but no, he's the good guy. And Miguel Sandoval is the is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And even when he's having that meeting with O'Shea, which if you haven't figured it out by now, here's the direct proof that he's the mole. Yeah. Even then, he's kind of like charming and, and loose and everything. And it's not until the end of that scene where like, oh, these guys hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they hate each other. You know, it's it's uh, but they have a mutual interest as well in it. And, and that's not to say, say O'Shea doesn't kill people. It's just. He doesn't immediately kill people like you might expect for a villain like this in other action films. He, you know, they they would prefer to give you evidence of why you need the protection, uh, pay the protection. <laughs> well, it's because, I mean, also, I, I might have gotten this number wrong, but doesn't he, like, his business with Olivia is one of, like, 35 yeah. mm -hmm. operations that he's got going on. So yeah. He probably just doesn't kill people, like, all the time because that's just one more thing to keep track of when you're running an yeah. empire. It's like, well, great. Now I got to have this body taken care of and remember all these lies. Yeah. I mean, and because even his thugs, they know better because we get uh, Kersey who, you know, he goes on his revenge thing and being the smart one this time, he doesn't just flash money and then shoot someone or just walk up to these guys in broad daylight and shoot them. No, he decides to figure out their patterns and where they go first. He actually, creeper you know he, he's stalking them basically and finding out their patterns and we see at one point that they uh, shake down a fashion store and they stab the owner in the hand they don't stab him or kill him completely just stab him and say hey you better have the money next time i'm like you know i found that i know we're focusing a little much on it but i just i just found it refreshing and interesting especially considering how the villains in the past have kind of evolved along with Kersey 
mm-hmm. over this franchise. We've gone from slimy, scummy, rapist Jeff Goldblum to now guys who would prefer to just hurt you and still get money from you rather than actually kill you because that that's more complicated really than than doing the protection scam. Well, I also want to point out we're talking about the character Jeff Goldblum played. Yes. In yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I I have no, I have I love Jeff Goldblum, okay? Yeah, but yeah. in Death Wish 1, he was slimy pervert rapist. Yeah, but I mean and that's the thing that I appreciate about these movies and also that, you know, we've had Michael Winner out of the director's chair for the last you know, two pictures. And I think that's really helped. We got a new guy this time, uh, Alan a Goldstein. Yeah. Who they had to get because, uh, budget restraints. There was someone else they wanted to get and, uh, they couldn't afford him. So, uh, you know, does a good job and I'm mm -hmm. not sure the, the screenwriting, you know, who's writing these movies, but what I appreciate about it is it's death wish five, whether or not you have that V, you know, tastefully hidden in a gray behind, you know, death wish face of death, or not, people still know this is like the 90th iteration of this character. So it's like, yeah, they could have him just walking around the streets of New York shooting people, but, you know, getting creative with it, turning into a new kind of movie so that when you look at these as a whole, one through five, you can say, no, there really is a lot to gain from here. The series gets better as it goes on. It doesn't get worse. No, it it gets better. It finds its legs. Even this one, which wasn't a canon film proper, but it was canon film in spirit because... This was one of the first films made after the split of Galan and uh, Globus and Galan made his 21st century films. I think it's called, uh, yeah. uh, you know, or whatever it's called. Yeah. So it was, but it's basically canon, you know, half a canon. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> half a fuse. Uh, only they were in financial dire straits and he was looking for a win. So he owned the, rights for death wish and so that's why they got bronson back bronson didn't want to come back but thanks to a little book that i was reading uh gives a little tidbit about this uh film in that they offered bronson five mil to come back wow that's a death wish five mil that's a death wish five mil yes so so bronson who didn't want to come back yeah okay which it and it was ended up sadly it ended up being the final film that was released to theaters where he was the lead. He did a trilogy of thrillers before he passed away because of Alzheimer's. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Death Wish 5 only made $1.7 million back at the box office. Mm. So you can imagine. And the reason they filmed in Toronto, why I made the joke, they were going to film in New York. Uh, but tax breaks that Canada oh, sure. gives for if most of your crew is in is from Canada and you film in Canada, you get a shit ton of tax breaks. So that's the only way they could really afford to finish this film is by shooting the rest in Toronto. So that's why New York looks a lot like uh, Toronto. Uh- <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, it's just weird that this is, this was that this got a theatrical release. Cause this mm-hmm. whole thing, as much as I really like this movie, it still just screams, you know, direct I'm, video. At the, yeah. I'm at the VHS, you know, I'm at the video store and Hey, this is on the new release wall. Why not? Yeah. Death wish four is, was still felt more of a bit of a theatrical type film than this one. This one really felt like it was good. I enjoyed it as well, but it does feel a lot more like that direct to VHS, especially in the mid nineties. So direct to DVD, uh, fodder, you know, DVD, the new experience in video. Sorry. Uh, having flashbacks to those ads uh, on a DVD. Yes, folks, on the DVD you rented, they have an ad for DVD and how it's the new experience. And I'm like, but I'm watching it on a DVD. <laughs> I I know the experience. Why are you selling me the experience? I already have it. But just anyway. in case you're not paying attention to the experience <laughs> while it's right. going on. That's right. But before the movie starts. Before the movie um, starts. But yes. I, you know. What I love is that we've got two Bugs Bunny characters in this movie. Mm -hmm. We've got Paul Kersey, who is... Let me rewind the tape. A couple years ago, someone sent me a link to a YouTube clip, and I watched it at work, and I quickly had to fast-forward through part of it because there's nudity in it. (laughs) Uh, It's the soccer ball scene. Oh, yes. 
And it was just like that one little 30-second clip of him blowing up the guy with the remote control soccer ball. And I knew that was, I thought that was from a Death Wish movie. And so this whole last month we were doing these films, I was waiting for that scene to show up. I'm like, wait, did I miss it? Was that from another Charles Bronson movie? It was in this movie. I was so overjoyed. Uh, But it's just such a Bugs Bunny kind of a thing. And the guy he blew up was the hitman named Freddie Flakes. Named so because he's got really bad Bad dandruff. dandruff. I love that. But he's like, he's wearing disguises. The first time we see him, he's dressed up as a woman. He's the one who actually bashes Olivia's face into the mirror. But he's showing up looking all these different outfits throughout the the picture. And he's Mm -hmm. kind of crazy and wily. And I just, I just love him. He was the, he played the, uh, the the handicapped like sidekick character in um, George Romero's Land of the Dead. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was trying to figure out where I'd seen this guy before. I'm like, oh, that's that was him. Yeah, which which is a fun movie in itself. Uh, I, I appreciate it because it's one of the zombie films I watched that my wife really enjoys, actually. Mm. Uh, so uh, we ended Zombies, up watching man, they, they freak me out. <laughs> we ended up watching it. And she actually she's like, what this of like land of the dead. She's like, oh, it, oh, she really got pulled into it. So uh, but yeah, it's you do still have your humor. Uh, the deaths are a bit cartoony in here. Um, the tone is different. Just like we mentioned in Death Wish 4, the tone has changed from the gritty crime, you know, darker tone. I mean, there's still dark stuff happening, but it's just, it's got just a little bit of lighter lightness to it. Uh, You know, a little bit of a tongue in a cheek, not a lot, but just a little bit like this is what the first three were, but we'll give you some of that, but it knows it feels like it knows what it is. So, yeah, I mean, there's almost a bit of uh, like a Freddy Krueger meets saw in some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's the, the henchman who gets wrapped up in, in the plastic wrap uh, in the, in the warehouse at the end, because you're watching like, Oh my God, this is ridiculous. But then when you're stopping and thinking, that's also horrifying because he's begging for his life, but he's getting the plastic wrapped all around his face. Is he just going to stand there and suffocate? But then, no, he gets the air hole, but then he gets hung up on a hook and then shot to death by accident by other hitmen. I'm like, this is wild, man. <laughs> I know, right? It it just, it, it really has gone to a different level than you watch the first film. And yeah, it, as far as entertainment goes and, being comfortable sitting down and watching it. These last two especially have been far more. I mean, three, it kind of started with three, as we mentioned, it just got that batshit crazy third act that just, you watch and you're just like, Oh, this is just over the top and fun uh, in three, but three still kind of had a bit of that darker tone with some of the, you know, the rapey stuff and, and the, the way it handled some of those things. And then four and five, it's just like, these are films like, this is what you want from action films. And this is kind of more of the trend of what the other action films were, where the gritty crime drama of the seventies kind of faded away to the more thanks to like the diehards and that a little bit more of the over the top, a little bit lighter, you know, you still got dark stuff going on, but the tone is definitely different with these last two films. And I will say, I don't know. Maybe it's because he kept just thinking of the $5 million paycheck. (laughs) But let's just say Charles Bronson emotes the most in this film more than any of the other Death Wish. And I'll dare say almost many of his other films, he emotes, he is smile it's weird he's smiling he's got facial expressions he's upset well because up until this point even in four he kind of was stone cold kind of that's why i chuckle when it's called face of death because i'm like oh you know it we get a lot of close-ups of charles bronson's face and up until now it's been kind of that stone cold but here he's smiling, he's emoting, he's got emotion in his face. Even when the cops are giving him some shit, he's like, 16 years? What the fuck? You know, and I love that. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention that that 16, year, 16 years line, he had the best comeback. He said, uh, that's a long time to be failing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, damn. Yeah, he's got he's got more quips now. He's... 
he's more animated. It's like, wow, where where was this? Where was this Kersey for the last four films? Because, you know, he you you feel and the reason why it's kind of important and why I bring it up, I think, is because you feel Kersey's motivation to actually do what he's doing in the other four they were entertaining yes okay we saw the bad things happen to whoever he gets close to and we understand that's his motivation but from the character himself i never really felt it because bronson usually had just one or two looks on his face you know he, 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 i'm in love <laughs> now i'm angry you know and you look at it, you go wait, wait. Wait, is there different? I think your eye twitched there, you know, it's just the way he was approaching it. And in here, you feel his emotions and you see his emotions. You see how it's actually impacting him. So you understand his motivations, I think, a lot more in this one than in previous ones through his performance. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I think that Bronson just has one of the great all time interesting faces to look at. Well, so yeah, I yeah, think there's I that. Reading- I think I was reading more nuance and emotion into his other, you know, mm. roles in this series than than you were. Yeah. Uh, but I agree, it's not the most dynamic character, but it's just it is really fun to watch. Um, also, I love that this movie has a wicked sense of humor mm-hmm. too, uh, beyond you know Bronson's one-liners and and blowing. Are remote soccer balls a thing? Remote control soccer balls? There were multiple. Never seen this before. There were multiple of them in the stand of the toys that he was looking at. So uh, they may have uh, been a thing. At uh, did one they discontinue them after this movie because they want people <laughs> turning them into bombs? <laughs> no, there. It is a thing. There are remote soccer balls. Apparently, a remote control soccer ball. Sears sells them. You could Wait, buy Sears still around. Yeah, you could. Sears is still around, surprisingly. Yes, and there's Sphero mini soccer app enabled program robot ball. Uh, I mean, of course, you use an app and shit now because it, we're in the 21st century. But yeah, because I think what they were intended for is for practicing. You could, you you could have someone control the soccer ball and you could practice trying to kick it or whatnot as it moves around. I think that was kind of the purpose. Oh, them. I thought it was so like when you kick it, you could have it come back to you instead of having to like it, run across. It could the be field that to... too. It could be that too. When you practice, you could use the remote to to bring it back to you too. Uh, but th- th- it is a thing. It's a real thing. It wasn't just made up in here. Uh, and even th- yeah, that's where you're, where you're talking about like with the tone and where I was talking about more emotion from Kersey. He's snickering a bit. He's smiling as he's leading flaky around his house with this remote control soccer ball you see kersey actually smiling a bit like well i got you you idiot you know well even better is he's smiling after the guy has been blown up and set on fire he's watching him sitting there burn like down on his knees like screaming he's kind of (laughs) like yeah and and the guy you know flaky's naked girlfriend comes out and she's screaming and he's just like yeah, I, I probably should go now, but he's still smiling, but he's just like, ah, yeah, he just kind of like does that yeah. thing where he kind of backs yeah. away out of frame <laughs> with his remote control. But I love, and this is, I think why half that, that meme that people sent me was, uh, was successful because his line, he calls out, he says, Freddie, I'm here to help you with your Dan Druff problem. <laughs> <laughs> and then he blows them up like your Dan Druff, yeah. Charlie, you're, Dan Druff problem. That's not. No, Charlie. No, go talk to Sly Stallone while he's practicing his I am the law line. Okay. I am the law. I am the law. I am the law. Where do I put the emphasis? I am the law. You know, Dan Druff. No, no, Charles. It's it's Dandruff. Just who's one word. Who's it's Dan Druff? I thought no, his name was no, Freddie. Oh, my. You know what? We're running out of nighttime here. Go ahead. Just. Let's just roll with it. Go ahead, Charlie. Whatever, whenever you're ready. Uh, <laughs> I'm here to help you with your Dan Druff problem. Okay, cut. We're good. Let's go. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Let's just. That's why you pay you the big bucks, Charlie. <laughs> uh, but no, the, the the wicked sense of humor um, mm-hmm. when Chicky, who was the uh, the big, he was the first hitman with the with the rage problem. Yeah, because when he's going all over, he's like. Um, 
he gets killed with a cyanide laced cannoli uh, in the restaurant. I was, you know, this is the second movie in a row where we've had a great restaurant death scene. Um, but after he is killed, the newspaper headline. It was like a fake New York newspaper, like yeah. the New York Gazette or something. Yeah. But I swear, this is like a New York Post-style headline. I wrote it down. The full thing, it said, Mobster bites it. Chicky Piccone killed by cannoli. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and they do that a, the second time, too, when he offs the second guy with the, the exploding soccer ball. I think there's another headline, too, that's just playful like that. You're just like... <laughs> so yeah, the the film definitely has some humor worked into this, which was you know appreciated. And they do some interesting things with Michael Parks' character too, because he's got this uh, his girlfriend, his latest girlfriend uh, that he must have picked up after, um, uh, you know, after the fashion, uh, whatever happened between him and and uh, Kersey's girlfriend. Uh, he's got this other girlfriend who seems very devoted to him and she's dressed up or whatnot. This is after he's got the daughter and she's waiting outside. Thankfully, she's not in the same room. Anyway, he's O'Shea's being scummy gangster guy. And he says, okay, come over here. It's, it's showtime, you know, and she goes over to him and she sits there kind of between his legs. And then we cut out to, you know, the girl who can hear everything. And you're just like, oh my God, this is awkward. Um, <laughs> But then you hear the line to where, oh, it's not happening again. Yeah. And he throws her out. And I, why that stuck with me was because I'm like, just by putting that little VO, because we don't even see it. It's, it's through the door. The girl is hearing it. But putting that, it suddenly puts into context a lot of things about O'Shea. And there's other bits in here, too, where they add a line or something just enough within the context that you learn more about the character without them feeding you a lot about the character. And I like that because when you hear that, you're like, well, that explains a lot with O'Shea. <laughs> you know, he's overcompensating for a few things, I think. Um, well, the, the, I, I totally agree. My one question is, if you know you've got this problem, mm. Why do you call your girlfriend over to the couch? Because if this time might be different. Yeah, but you got to wait till the you feel the blood flowing. I'm, I'm not going to get into a biology <laughs> lesson, but you know when you're ready to go and you know when you're not. <laughs> Welcome to the spoiler room biology lesson, everyone. 101. <laughs> and we just get our new viewer now as we're talking about the blood flow and Michael Park's crotch. But woo! anyway, woo! welcome. <laughs> um, and farewell. No, and farewell. Um, but uh, no, I agree. And that's the thing about Michael Parks. It's not so much what's on the page because what's on the page is all right, but mm -hmm. it's what's in his face. I could watch an entire origin movie about what was going on for that 16 years that he was kind of coming up through the, I guess, the Irish mob or just the New York mob. Yeah, circles. it was uh, Irish mob. Apparently he, he would risen through the Irish mob. Because he's a, he's a maniac, but he also has that kind of quiet, mm -hmm. like he's thinking about stuff and rolling a toothpick around his mouth. He's just like, I want to know what's going on behind those eyes. It's beautiful. At one point, he's in his high rise with his flunkies and his girlfriend. And he's like, yeah, bring me a snack. And she brings out a plate of cannolis. I know, right? And, he's, <laughs> and he throws them at her. He's like, what? What's wrong with you? What the hell? <laughs> and he, like she runs upstairs like crying and stuff He's because it's one of those ambiguous things where I don't know if he was paranoid that those were poisoned too, or if he was just like you're an idiot because my you know one of my friends or well, you know, well, henchman just died of poisoned cannolis. Well, his henchman died, and it was a brother. So you have the brother in the room with the cannolis. So there's the connection and. Uh, just to pause stuffed burrito entertainments with us. And he says, yay, crotch powers. <laughs> yes, crotch powers indeed, my friend. So glad you could stop by. Um, yeah, I, well, and then there's humor. There, there's humor worked in through a lot. Again, this is why you like, I'm with you that this series has actually surprisingly gotten better over time, over the, the, the course of these sequels, because, we get kind of a humorous thing to where after the death of the cannoli guy, you get uh, O'Shea and his girl and everybody at the funeral with just one line oh. of cars, right? That was like something out of um, like Boondock Saints I know, or right? a Guy Ritchie movie where the, the, the runner kid comes, like they're giving the funeral service. 
this runner kid comes up down the aisle, you know, bursting through the doors to deliver a message or something. And then everybody in the church, except for the priest who's at the front, pulls out their guns. And it's this beautiful shot. Everyone going. Well, yeah, because that was the second funeral, because the first funeral was just him leaving. And the guy was like, um, he, he was he, the priest was like, why are you leaving? And, and O'Shea just. He he just gets the hell out oh, of there. Oh right, okay. Remember, but the second one where they had twice as many cars too. There, that was kind of the humor. There was just one line of cars for the first funeral, and then the second funeral you had twice as many cars. And then yeah, when the kid comes in, all the guns in a wonderful wide shot of straight down the aisle of everybody pointing their guns at the kid, and it it, it was beautiful and it was humorous. It, it's it's they. It's almost directed a bit. It, it is directed co- a bit comedic of how oh we're at another funeral. Oh we're at you, you know, and it's just like it's weird to find in this Death Wish film this bit of humor that is, and it's peppered throughout a bit too. I mean, there's you know, well, there's also a nice little pin on that particular scene because with the priest it's almost like filling in backstory because he's not horrified by what, by what he's seeing with the guns coming out. It's almost like he was the priest for all of these <laughs> hit men when they were little kids. So yeah. he knew that they were like little bastards growing up. He's like, this is, you know, come on guys, this is a house of God. Please just yeah. no, no guns at the funeral. <laughs> it's almost, almost like under his breath, kind of disappointed. Like why did I have to get stuck at this parish? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and again, it is it is another a bit of humor, and it, I loved how it was directed and it was handled. But that shows you where they've brought this series from to where it is now, a mid '90s film where they realize they can work some of this into it and still have seriousness. I mean, we talked about it with some of the previous films between you know the mid '80s and the mid '90s. You had action films that both could work in serious moments. And comedic moments, thanks to things like, you know, uh, the Beverly Hills Cop, Lethal Weapon, you know, the buddy cop films, which actually had some serious stuff in it, like from the gritty crime stuff that Death Wish spawned from. But then they also work in the humor stuff, the one liners, the the interesting ways guys get off. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, I also I just love the the look, the the, the different looks of this series because as you mentioned this is 94 so it's like six or seven years after the the previous one which right. was 87 mm-hmm. and the one before that was 85 so they're kind of in the same vein but going from 85 which is like this gritty you know new york slum kind of a, a movie to 87 which is back in la right i think yeah so it's very flashy, but you the the climax and the roller rink. There's a lot of neon, mm-hmm. a lot of smoke. It still feels very like late eighties. Mm-hmm. When you jump into part five, there's no denying that this thing is in the nineties, from the oh, score yeah. to that kind of you know almost soap opera lighting to a lot of things. Uh, not soap opera, but it just looks there's more polish to it. Mm-hmm. It, it it looks like a, a video rental movie from the early to mid nineties. Right. It just has that feel. So you can watch these things. And even if you're, you know, you're tired of seeing this guy get revenge for stuff, you can just watch these as films and not have the same experience between one, two, three, four, and five. They all have a distinct look. And the way they're set up, it's a bit of a rinse, rinse wash, repeat, with his motivations in all honesty you don't have to watch these in order there there Mm -hmm. is there is no real continuity i mean we did have the recurring characters between one and two but even still you you can follow these films on their own you don't necessarily have to watch the previous films to get the gist of what's going on because it's a pretty basic motivation uh you know and and still follow what's going on and not have to watch the other sequels in order to figure out, you know, what's going on. You don't have to, but I think there is, there's a real, if you're going to watch these as, you know, one long story and, and actually appreciate them, you're like, I'm going to watch the death wish movie. It's, it's, and we talked about this before the evolution of Paul Kersey, right? Because as his methods got more extreme, like the guns got bigger. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, throughout the movies to the point where in the last one he had this giant vault hidden behind his refrigerator that he went into to get the fucking rocket launcher. In this movie, he's got like a little gun safe behind a picture in his office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of that annoying thing where he keeps having these flashbacks of like the voiceover to things that we just watched five minutes ago. Right. It's like the Rocky four of the Death Wish movies. (laughs) But you think about he doesn't he's not the arsenal guy anymore he really has tried to give this up and you know he keeps it's like the michael corleone thing he gives keeps getting pulled back in mm-hmm. but you get the sense that he sold or got rid of a lot of his arsenal because he's having to go to the store and buy a remote control bomb like soccer ball he's got the one big gun in his case but he doesn't have the heavy artillery so he's kind of having to batman begins him his career yeah we don't have any uh 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 who is it? Weedley or whatever it is. The, the, the big Wheel. gun. Wasn't that one of the transformers? No, that was no. Wheelie. Uh, you know, uh, the big, the big gun from three, he, we didn't have his, his mm. buddy, you know, uh, this time. Yeah. He just had the little handgun and then, uh, yeah, he got creative. Well, he was in witness protection too. I imagine they probably took all his guns when he went into witness protection. So he didn't That's have true. He didn't have like a chance to get his full arsenal. Um, you know uh but that's okay because it works with his character and he's gotten more creative because again he's been at this for 20 years and i guess you know i do see your point if you do watch them in order you can see the evolution of cursey um and see his approach and his changes and how he's kind of learned that no you can't just walk up to a bad guy in broad daylight in front of a bunch of people and and off him with your you know 33 uh you you can't do that you know (laughs) unless you're in the hood and surrounded by a bunch of gang members then you can shoot whoever you want but he witnesses a lot of murders in broad daylight speaking of which early on in the film that that fat guy that uh i mentioned was the dude got kind of like part of him shaved off when he gets killed because he decides to wear a wire but the hitmen are on to him and he gets really frustrated and kind of storms away from the scene back through a series of alleys. It was kind of confusing to me. I'm like, if you knew where the other, where the undercover cop was generally walk in that direction, don't go in the back alleys. Right. But he gets frustrated. He's tearing off the wire. And, uh, but then he gets run over by a car and one of the most spectacular (laughs) deaths I have ever seen. He gets hit by a car, launched backwards into the air on what had to have been wires, flies through this giant plate glass window into a table where people are having lunch. I mean, it looks like something Frank Miller would have drawn in like Sin City. He lands on people too. I mean, this isn't just these people get out of the way. No, this big guy, the big stuntman, whoever they got, goes through the plate glass and lands on people. It's like, holy crap. And then there's another impressive stunt. There's That's one of two impressive stunts in the same sequence because – when you have that, you have the cop who was the undercover cop listening to the wire. She goes running down the alley and trying to track down where he is. So she's standing in the middle of the street trying to take out flaky Frank, uh, who instead of hitting her straight on, he does a side swipe <laughs> with the car. And this is on camera, folks. Whoever they got the stunt person for this was pretty damn good because he bumps he he hits her with the side of the car the the cop she rolls on top flies in the air and like, i mean and it's all in camera it's all in frame it's like holy ball i didn't expect that for a film like this made by the company it was made i'm like that's an impressive stunt versus the shitty dummies we got tossed off of buildings Right. And even even when Olivia takes her swan dive off the building towards mm-hmm. the end, uh, I didn't that didn't look like a dummy. to No, me. it was there was some movement going on. There was, was some flailing as the body went down. It was her. You know, it, it was her because, I mean, we cut away before she lands, obviously, but it was actually a stunt person, not necessarily the actress who jumps off, just like when Kersey actually jumps off or the stuntman double who is being Kersey in any case. You actually have a real person jumping off the edge of the building who lands into the pile of garbage. But still, it was <laughs> it was not of the person starts running towards the edge and then we cut away to the upshot and we see the shitty dummy. Yay! <laughs> no, it was an actual person jumping. No, it wasn't like three feet, but still, 
uh, the stunt stuff that they do in here, you have less shitty dummies in this, except for exploding Soccer Man with a really bad shitty dummy. Yeah, but I was still I was still so doubled over from Dan Druff that I think I missed the shitty dummy, honestly. <laughs> it's shitty dummy, but then it's a real stunt man in uh, you know, the the fire retardant type gel or whatever, because then there's a guy actually in on fire moving around. It's like holy balls though. I mean I also love that that Freddie Flakes jumps out of the bathtub and like within a couple of minutes we see him back outside. So I get it, he's thrown some clothes on but his hair is just about perfectly dry well yeah i mean she had she had been like shampooing it with this like special mm-hmm. like dandruff scalp and he didn't even wash it something. he didn't rinse it no i mean he, he's fast that's, i wonder is that why his hair caught on like his head went up so spectacularly it was the soap it was the he hadn't <laughs> rinsed all of the soap out it was actually fairly flammable soap uh, shampoo <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah man. i mean you know and we still, it we're, it ends weird though. This this film, I don't know. It was a little weird of an ending for for it. We don't get the I'll give you three minutes or whatnot because the one cop who's been trying to bust O'Shea for sixteen years finally shows up at at the uh, you know the fashion uh, shop where the the showdown is going on. Which we got. I gotta back up. Okay. I want to know where they got the one guy. I think he's done a lot of voice acting before, but the one of the thugs that was with O'Shea in it. Oh, dude had the lowest voice. I mean, I mean, I'm not kidding, folks. I don't get him. I'm like, holy crap. And he's like, Kersey's coming around the corner. We're going to get him. I'm like, what the f-? <laughs> And then I think that was the guy's actual. I'm just like, where'd they find this guy? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the one kind of mistake that I think. Like, first, he's introduced, like, in the last 10 minutes as a replacement hitman. Well, yeah. But you already had the guy, Chicky or whatever, yeah. who was the, the unhinged, like, crazy big mm-hmm. dude. Like, I think... Any movie with henchmen needs to have one of those kind, unless they happen to be twins or something. Well, that's the one thing is in, in the ending, it kind of I mean, the 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 saran wrap guy I thought was cool. I'm like, that, that that's kind of cool. You know, and the fact that later on he gets sh- shot by his own guys. I'm like, OK, yeah, you know, that's fun. Nice bringing it around. But yeah, O'Shea, like dug into the new Looney Tune henchmen bin. And grabs like three more of these guys who we haven't seen up until now. And they each have their own character. You can tell the way they're acting in the guns that they have and whatnot. They don't last long. Um, it's just an interesting approach because I think four really had a strong ending. I really enjoyed the 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 final showdown with Kersey and the bad guy, even with him not being able to see him in a perfectly clear roller rink <laughs> outside of that scene. I, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed the way it came out here. I, I did, but I didn't. It felt like it lost a step or two with this one, this showdown because namely because of the plot armor Paul Kersey has in this film. This man, he doesn't have his bulletproof vest like he had in three and even in four, but these are the worst, and I do mean the worst henchmen shots. The, the, these make stormtroopers look accurate. Uh, they shoot. Wow. They shoot a lot of furniture, and they shoot a <laughs> lot of knickknacks on the shelves, and they shoot a lot of boxes. But Kersey. Come on, in the house, when they first go there to off his girlfriend, mm-hmm. he should have been hit by at least a stray bullet. Give me some kind <laughs> of give me some kind of bloodshed from Kersey, which usually happens in the previous one where they show he's at least a little remind you, he's not completely vulnerable, folks. But not in this one. He's like, yeah, he's not touched by a single bullet. That didn't bother me so much because I've been learning a lot about guns lately because it's just you know kind of come into my psyche my conscious Uh conscience conscious uh and it's you know it's not like it is in the movie especially when you're firing those big guns you think oh "Oh, you got this spray you can hit like anything 
no, you can just as often not you you'll shoot all around right. your target, right? And so these guys, they're in a they're in a dark, like kind of a dark house. They're shooting stuff up. I was more impressed with Kersey being a seventy plus year old man <laughs> with those running skills. Yeah, like the running and the diving and the climbing and everything that bothered me more than than the bullets. Um, yeah, and then at the end with the uh, you know the fashion warehouse that was really dark. So I'm I'm not surprised that there was that he got away unscathed. Uh, yeah, I just my big problem with the way this movie ended was I think they got the two big spectacular deaths in the wrong order mm. because there's the one I think it was the was it Frankie was the the brother who got right. fed through the conveyor belt machine. Oh yeah, with the chopped up, he got chopped up into the fabric chopper. Yeah, that was great. It was gruesome because, like, he gets shot right, and he gets he flies back through one of those flappy doors, and then you realize, oh, he's landing on a conveyor belt. That conveyor belt is going through this machine with these kind of like rotating jaws, and he just gets fed into it. We don't actually see that because I think that would be a bit more budget, but we do see the meat kind of like going through the thing into a bag, yeah, bag like filling up with blood and pulp. Beautiful stuff. And then O'Shea gets it with the acid bath. Yeah. Yeah. The acid bath. But yeah, Kersey's like, you need a bath. And then he <laughs> flies back. I think that the, that Freddie, the henchman should have gotten the acid bath. And, and then O'Shea, O'Shea if yeah. anybody deserves to get ground up into a meat grinder, it's that guy. And I want to hear him scream and be like, ah, <laughs> you can't do this to me. Yeah. He's got to go feet first. So yeah. instead of head first, yeah, O'Shea had to go feet first through the grinder. No, you're right. It it should have been the other way around. Um, you know, and you need a bath. Uh, I'm like, really, <laughs> really? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it, it should have though. I mean, you do get melting shitty dummy. So you do get one shitty dummy in her folks, uh, in the form of uh, the melting O'Shea in the acid bath uh which was just probably milk or something but uh <laughs> well that's the other thing like it's another one of those open acid pits that i mean i know there was like a like a room you had to enter to get into it but there's no like railing or signs or anything it's just like there's a giant hole in the floor with bubbling acid that if you get near it will destroy you oh come on it was the mid 90s they didn't have full safety inspection things yet you know you know come on that's yeah it's true it was was (laughs) new york in the garment district or whatever it's yeah they didn't care it was a sweatshop anyway so you know i mean and and they were using it to launder money i think o'shea had some like nefarious dealings and so they were running the money through the fashion uh area that's why um oh yeah yeah how many bones do you think are the bottom of that acid pit (laughs) i don't know it's probably quite a bit (laughs) quite a bit yeah and then and then then kersey goes up to the lieutenant and the lieutenant goes i'll be fine i'll take cover and i'll cover it for you and kersey's like okay and then he like walks off and then we again we get the the him walking off and then freeze frame credits. But the way we, <laughs> the way Bronson takes off, he's like, check cleared. I'm gone. <laughs> well, he says, if you need any help, give me a call yeah, kind of yeah. leaving it open for another one. But I'm like, okay, so at least he's not miserable at the end of this because yeah, his girlfriend's dead, but you get the feeling that he's smiling his way through killing all these henchmen. He's probably fine. He's like, oh, yeah. I've been through this before, Yeah, but you know, he seemed to have a nice rapport with Chelsea, the daughter. Yeah. So the loner ending doesn't quite make sense here. You'd, you'd mm-hmm. expect him to go like drive by and pick her up from wherever she is. Uh, you know, something like that. Go get ice cream. I don't know. But it's just kind of an odd place. And yeah. especially because we know this is the last death wish, but it doesn't feel like it was meant to be necessarily. Well, no, they in in true in true uh, Golan fashion, they were selling. Uh, the idea of doing a six, but unfortunately the health of Bronson and the fact that uh, it didn't last long before uh, Galan's uh, company went belly up. Uh, <laughs> they were in financial dire straits. They could not make a Death Wish six, especially after they lost money on this one. Um, but there was supposedly going to be a Death Wish six. Um, and then unfortunately... Was there any info know. on like what that would have been? Like what's no, the, the I have, twist, I haven't, death wish in space. 
because eventually everything gets to space. Uh, <laughs> you killed my space monkey. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, that'd be John Wick. That's John Wick 8. That's right. That's They kill the space monkey. John Wick ape. That ape. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. The loner part doesn't work at the end because this is, I think, the first death wish where he has someone he cares about still alive. At yeah, the end of who it, wants to, who wants to talk to him? Who, who wants to still be with him? Yeah. On him? Yeah, <laughs> who still wants to be with him? You know, it, well, you know, she, now in true Death Wish fashion, all Kersey had to do was not propose to his fashion designer girlfriend, she would have survived. But he he proposed to her, and that was it. You know, it's like, you know, Kersey's got to put that on his Tinder profile that. <laughs> um, not looking for a long-term relationship, they end badly. And then they'll say, well, what do you mean they end badly? Do you have a bad breakup? No, they die <laughs> horribly, <laughs> often. Uh, <laughs> so so it would read, uh, long-term relationship wanted, no commitments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, that's, that's the crazy Tinder Kersey profile. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the only thing with this one is that this was the first. I think this, yeah, this is the first Death Wish where he had someone he cared about who still wanted to be with him or who was still alive. So him just heading off uh, and especially volunteering. Hey, if you need my help, just give me a call. I'm like, what are you? He, he's taking such the Batman angle. Kersey is like Batman with no cowl. Okay, he's really developed into batman with no cowl to the point of he gave us this signal well he didn't give him a death wish single signal but it would be a giant soccer ball <laughs> 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 uh, no that's that's how they signal him they send a soccer ball to uh, they put a soccer ball on his doorstep and he's like oh they need me again uh <laughs> time to kill some more vigil you know some more criminals um so yeah uh so we'll wrap it up here. We have covered the entire franchise of Death Wish, something I didn't think I'd hear myself say, but we have, and it has. I, I, I'm with you. It's gotten better, which is weird. You know what sucks is like, okay, it was nice that this was on Amazon Prime, so I didn't yeah. have to to pay to see it, but <clears throat> I bought, we talked about this early on, I bought the Blu-rays of Death Wish and then Death Wish 2 through 4, but part five wasn't included in that probably yeah. because it was a different company that mm -hmm. owned the rights by then. But I'm like, now I kind of have to go and buy the death wish five Blu-ray. Cause I want to own all these things. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that either. I, I know. Right. It's, this is one of those films series similar to another film series. I won't mention because it's a guilty pleasure of mine, but it just involves a lot of fast cars being very angry. Um, you're gonna go see the Jurassic World F9 or oh, Fast and the Furious yeah. crossover, aren't you? Oh, yeah. fuck. I'd 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 be first in line for that shit. Seeing dinosaurs and the Fast and Furious gang going at. Are you kidding? Oh my god! I love. What they're the gonna do. They're gonna start at the head of the T Rex <laughs> in their car. They're gonna drive down its tail and get to 88 miles per hour, and That's then they're right. gonna go forward in time to get back to the present. There you go. That's right. That's how they have to do that because the they need the gas inside the gastric uh, system of the T Rex in order to ignite to get the 1.21 gigawatts of power needed to launch the DeLorean back into, well, in this case, it'd be a charger back into uh, the present time. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, care. You know, <laughs> you're going to have the scene with Vin Diesel talking to Christopher Lloyd. And he's like, <clears throat> doc, what's the problem? Do we become assholes or something? What? It's, it's <laughs> no, a, it's, a, it's a Cadillac. Something's got to be done about your Cadillac. Yeah. Bro, it's your charger. It's the alternator. They don't make them in the future. Yeah. Brr. Uh, Back. Fast to the future. future. <laughs> uh, fast to the f Jurassic Future World no. Park. I don't know. Back to the Furious. There you go. Back to the Furious. That's good, too. There you go. <laughs> I, now I'm just imagining this. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> Copyright spoiler room. Um, so we'll wrap it up here tonight. Death Wish. Yes, it is one that I think you and I are both surprised that I've enjoyed the later ones more so than the earlier ones. And I fully admit, and it, here I've got a credit credit card somewhere. You can have it because uh, I know, um, you know, being part of Rotten Tomatoes and all that. Uh, but just kidding. But I, I, I do enjoy the Fast and Furious film. That's another one where I enjoyed them because they embraced a lot of the stuff that people actually enjoy and they 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 tailored it more to what you know from what it tried to be at the beginning a statement like this one it tried to be a statement on vigilantism and crime and that for a different time and it's evolved now into where Kersey is is basically an action hero uh you know just like our our you know our uh, lethal weapons and and like our diehards it's because he's evolved into kind of that by now in 94 and that's not a bad thing no you know? it's not and he's he's a but he's a low-key action hero right he knows how to jump out of the way of machine gun bullets like nobody's business <laughs> he does but he's just still like driving around walking around he doesn't have a partner that he's quipping with mm -hmm. really he's just kind of this old man he's this he's the elder statement of vigilantism yeah he is i mean he's he is the elder statement of that and uh yeah it's it's one of those folks watch it you watch them in order but you don't necessarily have to but they do get better in tone they get less of the uncomfortable bits and yeah. it, it embraces more of what you want out of a film series like this in all honesty it, it it becomes just like i know i mentioned it fast and the furious i fully admit it they're dumb movies but they embraced they embraced the elements that people actually enjoyed out of the first three films. And when you look at Fast and the Furious 4 on, they, they just embraced those elements and amped them up. And it pulled people in the theater because the people realized they didn't want Vin Diesel going all serious. It's all about family. I love my family. Nobody gives a fuck about your family. We want to watch big muscle cars driving through a building, multiple buildings, and then parachuting out of them on some wild stunt landing on a tank, you know, and grabbing the tank, and then the tank transforms into a plane. We want to, that's the shit we want to see. And they've, they've delivered that with the Fast and Furious in Death Wish series. We want to see what Kersey's doing in four and five. This is the stuff that you you were kind of, you want to see the smarter vigilante, the guy who just isn't going. Look, I've got money. Bang bang. No, you know <laughs> he's actually putting some thought into the fact that there's consequences to his actions, and he wants to reduce that as much as possible. And that's what we got in four and five, especially with this. So, what's yeah. your real final thoughts with this whole? I mean, I think you summed it up yeah. well. I. And as surprised as anybody that we're that I'm not bored talking about Death Wish that we've spent <laughs> five hours now dissecting and and giving like an actual analysis to the Death Wish movies. And the bigger surprise is that there's something there to analyze. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I have more respect for Charles Bronson than I ever had before because I never really got it. You know, I didn't right. watch his movies, but now I kind of want to watch other Bronson movies. I uh, I know. Like he's been a bunch of like ensemble movies and also he had some singulars through his career. But uh, yeah, Death Wish 5, who knew? Most of his singular where he was the lead was through canon. I mean, people wonder, and we've mentioned this before, some people out there maybe wonder, why is everybody get crazy about canon or whatnot? First off, if you grew up in the 80s to early 90s, it was everywhere. They, they made all, they made so many movies. But they also were one of those houses that gave people a chance where other Hollywood studios weren't giving a chance. Your Chuck, your, your Chuck Norris, your Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson probably wouldn't be talked about as nearly as much and considered where he is, I think, today, even still in discussion, if it wasn't for Canon. Canon gave him the opportunity to be a lead. And a lead in bigger films, especially for canon at the time, as we mentioned in this series with Death Wish, some of them were their biggest blockbusters, quote unquote, their, their biggest <laughs> money makers. And they had Bronson at the lead and it got him his name. He got him into pop culture. 
much like Chuck Norris, you know, and it was because Canon took a chance because they were just looking to make films and like, hey, you're a name. You've been in a number of things. Want to be in our film? <laughs> you know? and, and sure, you're going to give me a million bucks. Yeah, here. Fine. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so that's why I have appreciation for Canon, uh, even its ups and downs. And why we're talking about Bronson is because. Otherwise, he would have been that guy who was in some Westerns and some, you know, he was the sidekick in some Westerns and some spaghetti Westerns and some, you know, some maybe minor roles in TV in that, you know? Yeah. So, but that's so. that's that's why I enjoy talking about these films and, and especially looking at the canon film library closely because you get a lot of these names that you're just like, holy crap, this person was in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? So there you have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Yes, we had it is uh, I need a hero month. So we have some interesting films lined up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's got that look on his face, including uh, Buckaroo Banzai and Adventures in the Eighth Dimension. We've got Remo Williams on deck and Howard Duck. What? What? Yes, a Marvel movie. Howard the Duck. Yes, it's a Marvel movie. You can't deny it, MCU fans. I'm sorry, it exists. (laughs) So we are going to take a look at those movies this month, so stay tuned for that. The AMA is going to be July 9th, 7 o'clock. Hope you see you guys there. And now this is my chance for my guest to shill away. So license to shill, Ian. Please tell folks where they can find all of your wonderful content. Well, uh, I'm Ian Simmons. You can find me uh, at Kicking the Seat, which is at kickseat.com. I'm also on Twitter at kickseat. I also have the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel um, where I put out uh, you know movie review videos, discussions similar to this, um, and you know quick interviews and that kind of stuff. So yeah, check me out there. Like, subscribe if you do like it and want to subscribe. And um, yeah, I'm also the Kicking the Seat podcast, which is a lot of it now is the YouTube stuff, but in audio form, you can find that on a bunch of the major platforms. So yeah, check it out. And I'm also here every Tuesday talking with Mark about uh, these wonderful movies. I'm excited about Remo Williams because I've never seen that movie. Oh, <laughs> I've, I've, I know, I know it's got, it's, it's got a, you know, kind of a cult following. So I'm very excited. I, I like Fred Ward a lot. It'll be interesting to see your 2021 lens through that film. Uh, if I can make it through Death Wish parts one through five, <laughs> I can handle anything. We'll just see. Um, yeah. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. So there you have it, folks. Thank you for listening. Stuffed Burrito Entertainment. Check out his stuff as well. He's a Twitch streamer. He's a YouTube reviewer. He does all kinds of things. Uh, he's His link is on our Friends of Special Mark Productions on our website there. Go check Check that out and check his stuff out. Thank you for popping in tonight's stuff burrito. And now, yes, we'll just say a good night, everyone. Hey, all my spoiler room friends out there, if you like what you hear, why not head on over to iTunes and like, comment, and even subscribe to our channel. It always helps us out. Or you can find us on Stitcher Radio as well. You can drop us a tweet on the Twitter at Spoiler Room PDCS or Special Mark Pro. Look for us also on Facebook at the Spoiler Room Podcast or in the Special Mark Productions Facebook group. Let us know what movies or topics you'd like to be discussed in the Spoiler Room where the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.